chapter sixteen of inventions of the great war by alexander russell bond this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter sixteen reclaiming the victims of the submarine nearly fifteen million tons of shipping lie at the bottom of the sea sunk by german u-boats and the value of these ships with their cargo is estimated at over seven billion dollars in one year nineteen seventeen the loss was nearly a million dollars a day of course these wrecks would not be worth anything like that now if they were raised and floated much of the cargo would be so damaged by its long immersion in salt water that it would be absolutely valueless but there are many kinds of merchandise that are not injured in the least by water every ship carries a certain amount of gold and silver and then the ship's hull itself is well worth salving provided it was not too badly damaged by the torpedo that sank it altogether there is plenty of rich treasure in the sea awaiting the salvor who is bold enough to go after it to be sure not all of the u-boat's victims were sunk in deep water many torpedoed vessels were beached or succeeded in reaching shallow water before they foundered some were sunk in harbors while they lay at anchor before the precaution was taken of protecting the harbors with nets the allies did not wait for the war to end before trying to refloat these vessels in fact during the war several hundred ships were raised and put back into service a special form of patch was invented to close holes torn by torpedoes electric pumps were built which would work under water and these were lowered into the holds of ships to pump them out the salvers were provided with special gas masks to protect them from poisonous fumes of decayed matter in the wrecks our own navy has played an important part in salvage shortly after we entered the war all the wrecking equipment in this country was commandeered by the government and we sent over to the other side experienced american salvors provided with complete equipment of apparatus and machinery the majority of wrecks however are found in the open sea where it would have been foolish to attempt any salvage operations because of the menace of submarine attack on at least one occasion a salvage vessel while attempting to raise the victims of a submarine fell itself a prey to a hun torpedo now that this menace has been removed such vessels as lie in comparatively shallow water and in positions not subject to sudden tempests can be raised by the ordinary methods or if it is impracticable to raise them much of their cargo can be reclaimed however most of the torpedoed ships lie at such depths that their salvage would ordinarily be despaired of in the depths of the sea it will be interesting to look into conditions that exist in deep water somehow the notion has gone forth that a ship will not surely sink to the very bottom of the deep sea but on reaching a certain level will find the water so dense that even solid iron will float as if in a sea of mercury and that here the ship will be maintained in suspension to be carried hither and yon by every chance current indeed it makes a rather fantastic picture to think of these lost ships drifting in endless procession far down beneath the cold green waves and destined to roam forever like doomed spirits in a circle of dante's inferno but the laws of physics shatter any such illusion and bid us paint a very different picture liquids are almost incompressible 
the difference in density between the water at the surface of the sea and that at a depth of a mile is almost insignificant as a matter of fact at that depth the water would support only about half a pound more per cubic foot than at the surface the pressure however would be enormous take the titanic for instance which lies on the bed of the ocean in water two miles deep it must endure a pressure of about two long tons on every square inch of its surface long before the vessel reached the bottom her hull must have been crushed in every stick of wood every compressible part of her structure and of her cargo must have been staved in or flattened as a ship sinks it is not the water but the ship that grows progressively denser the titanic must have actually gained in weight as she went down and so she must have gathered speed as she sank we may be certain therefore that every victim of germany's ruthless u-boats that sank in deep water lies prone upon the floor of the sea it matters not how or where it was sunk whether it was staggered by the unexpected blow of the torpedo and then plunged headlong into the depths of the sea or whether it lingered mortally wounded on the surface quietly settling down until the waves closed over it theoretically of course a perfect balance might be reached which would keep a submerged vessel in suspension but practically such a condition is next to impossible once a ship has started down she will keep on until she reaches the very bottom whether it be ten fathoms or ten hundred a submarine graveyard instead of the line of wandering spectres then we must conjure up a different picture equally weird an underworld shrouded in darkness for little light penetrates the deep sea here in the cold blackness on the bed of the ocean the wrecks of vessels that once sailed proudly overhead lie still and deathly silence some keeled over on their sides some turned turtle and most of them probably on even keel here and there may be one with its nose buried deep in the mud and in the shallower waters we may come across one pinned down by the stern but with its head buoyed by a pocket of air straining upward and swaying slightly with every gentle movement of the sea as if still alive this submarine graveyard offers wonderful opportunities for the engineer because the raising of wrecked vessels is really a branch of engineering it is a very special branch to be sure and one that has not begun to receive the highly concentrated study that have such other branches as tunneling bridge construction etc nevertheless it is engineering and it has been said of the engineer that his abilities are limited only by the funds at his disposal now he has a chance to show what he can do for there are hundreds of vessels to be salved where before there was but one the vast number of wrecks in deep water will make it pay to do the work on a larger and grander scale than has been possible heretofore special apparatus that could not be built economically for a single wreck may be constructed with profit if a number of vessels demanding similar treatment are to be salved the principal fields of german activities were the mediterranean sea and the waters surrounding the british isles although the submarine zone covered some very deep water where the sounding lead runs down two miles without touching bottom obviously more havoc could be wrought near ports where vessels were obliged to follow a prescribed course 
and so most of the u-boat victims were stricken when almost in sight of land in fact as was pointed out in a previous chapter it was not until efficient patrol measures made it uncomfortable for the submarines that they pushed out into the open ocean to pursue their nefarious work the lusitania went down only eight miles from old head of kinsale in fifty fathoms of water if we draw a line from fastnet rock to the scilly islands and from there to the westernmost extremity of france we enclose an area in which the german submarines were particularly active the soundings here run up to about sixty fathoms in some places but the prevailing depth is less than fifty fathoms in the north sea too except for a comparatively narrow lane along the norwegian coast which by the way marked the safety lane of the german blockade zone the chart shows fifty fathoms or under if our salvors could reach down as far as that most of the submarine victims could be reclaimed but fifty fathoms means three hundred feet which is a formidable depth for salvage work only one vessel has ever been brought up from such a depth and that was a small craft one of our submarines the f four which sank off the coast of hawaii four years ago different ways of salving a wreck there are four well-known methods of raising a vessel that is completely submerged of course if the ship is not completely submerged the holes in her hull may be patched up and then when her hull is pumped out the sea itself will raise the ship unless it be deeply embedded in sand or mud if the vessel is completely submerged the same process may be resorted to but first the sides of the hull must be extended to the surface to keep the water from flowing in as fast as it is pumped out it is not usual to build up the entire length of the ship if the deck is in good condition it may suffice to construct coffer dams or walls around several of the hatches but building up the sides of a ship or constructing coffer dams on the ship's deck is a difficult task at best because it must be done under water by divers a record for this type of salvage work was established by the japanese when they raised the battleship mikasa that lay in some eighty feet of water her decks were submerged to a depth of forty feet it is doubtful that this salvage work could be duplicated by any other people of the world the wonderful patriotism and loyalty of the japanese race were called forth it is no small task to build a large coffer-dam strong enough to withstand the weight of forty feet of water or a pressure of a ton and a quarter per square foot even when the work is done on the surface perfect discipline and organized effort of the highest sort were required labor is cheap in japan and there was no dearth of men for the work over one hundred divers were employed in addition to the coffer-dam construction much repair work was necessary marvellous acts of devotion and heroism were performed it is rumoured that in some places it was necessary for divers to close themselves in cut their air supply pipes and seal themselves off from the slightest chance of escape and that there were men who actually volunteered to sacrifice their lives in this way for their beloved country and its young navy where indeed outside of the land of the rising sun could we find such patriotic devotion a second salvage method consists in building a coffer dam not on the ship but around it and then pumping this out so as to expose the ship as in a dry dock 
such was the plan followed out in recovering the main obviously it is a very expensive method and is used only in exceptional cases such as this in which it was necessary to make a post-mortem examination to determine what caused the destruction of the vessel neither of these methods of salvage will serve for raising a ship sunk in deep water raising a ship on air a salvage system that has come into prominence within recent years consists in pumping air into the vessel to drive out the water thus making the boat light enough to float this scheme can be used only when the deck and bulkheads of the boat are strongly built and able to stand the strain of lifting the wreck and when the hole that sank the vessel is in or near the bottom so as to allow enough air space above it to lift the boat the work of the diver in this case consists of closing hatches and bulkhead doors repairing holes in the upper part of the hull and generally strengthening the deck it must be remembered that a deck is built to take the strain of heavy weights bearing down upon it it is not built to be pushed up from beneath so that frequently this method of salving is rendered impractical because the deck itself cannot stand the strain a more common salvage method consists in passing cables or chains under the wreck and attaching them to large floats or pontoons the slack in the chains is taken up when the tide is low so that on the turn of the tide the wreck will be lifted off the bottom the partially raised wreck is then towed into shallower water until it grounds at the next low tide the slack of the chains is again taken in and at flood tide the wreck is towed nearer land the work proceeds step by step until the vessel is moved inshore far enough to bring its decks awash when it may be patched up and pumped out where the rise of the tide is not sufficient to be of much assistance hydraulic jacks or other lifting apparatus are used salving the u s submarine f four if the salvor could always be assured of clear weather his troubles would be reduced a hundredfold but at best it takes a long time to perform any work dependent upon divers and the chances are very good when they are operating in an unsheltered spot that a storm may come up at any time and undo the result of weeks and months of labor this is what happened when the submarine f four was salved after a month of trying effort the submarine was caught in slings hung from barges lifted two hundred and twenty-five feet and dragged within a short distance of the channel entrance of the harbor where the water was but fifty feet deep but just then a violent storm arose which made the barges surge back and forth and plunge so violently that the forward sling cut into the plating of the submarine and crushed it the wreck had to be lowered to the bottom and the barges cut free to save them from being smashed at the next attempt to raise the f four pontoons were again used but instead of being arranged to float on the surface they were hauled down to the wreck and made fast directly to the hull of the submarine then when the water was forced out of the pontoons with compressed air they came up to the surface bringing the submarine with them in this way all danger of damage due to sudden storms was avoided because water under the surface is not disturbed by storms overhead and when the wreck was floated the pontoons and submarine formed a compact unit while this method of salvage seems like a very logical one for work in the open sea 
one is apt to forget how large the pontoons must be to lift a vessel of any appreciable size not only must they support their own dead weight together with that of the sunken vessel but some allowance must usually be made for dragging the wreck out of the clutches of a sandy or muddy bottom imagine the work of building pontoons large enough to raise the lusitania they would have to have a combined displacement greater than that of the vessel itself and they would have to be so large that they would be very unwieldy things to handle in a seaway it is for this reason that submarine pontoons are not often used to take the entire weight of the vessel so far they have been employed mainly to salve small ships and then only to take a portion of the weight the principal work being done by large wrecking cranes instead of horizontal pontoons it has been suggested that vertical pontoons be employed so as to provide a greater lifting power without involving the use of enormous unwieldy units ships are not built so that they can be picked up by the ends such treatment would be liable to break their backs in the middle were they built more like a bridge truss the salvor's difficulties would be materially lessened it would be a much simpler matter to raise a vessel with pontoons were it so constructed that the chains of the pontoon could be attached to each end of the hull but because a ship is built to be supported by the water uniformly throughout its length the salvor must use a large number of chains properly spaced along the hull so as to distribute the load uniformly and see that too much weight does not fall on this or that pontoon the main problem however is to get hold of the wreck and this requires the services of divers so that if there were no other limiting factor the depth to which a diver may penetrate and perform his duties sets the mark beyond which salvage as now conducted is impossible a common diver's suit does not protect the diver from hydraulic pressure only a flexible suit and a thin layer of air separates him from the surrounding water this air must necessarily be of the same pressure as the surrounding water the air that is pumped down to the diver not only serves to supply his lungs but by entering his blood transmits its pressure to every part of his anatomy as long as the external pressure is equalized by a corresponding pressure within him the diver experiences no serious discomfort in fact when the pressure is not excessively high he finds it rather exhilarating to work under such conditions for with every breath he takes in an abnormal amount of oxygen when he returns to the surface he realizes that he has been working under forced draught he is very much exhausted and he is very hungry it takes a comparatively short time to build up the high internal pressure which the diver must have in order to withstand the pressure of the water outside but it is the decompression when he returns to the surface that is attended with great discomfort and positive danger if the decompression is not properly effected the diver will suffer agonies and even death from the so-called caisson disease a human soda water bottle we know now a great deal more than we used to know about the effect of compressed air on the human system and because of this knowledge divers have recently descended to depths undreamed of a few years ago 
when a diver breathes compressed air the oxygen is largely consumed and exhaled from the lungs in the form of carbon dioxide but much of the nitrogen is dissolved in the blood and does not escape however like a bottle of soda water the blood shows no signs of the presence of the gas as long as the pressure is maintained but on a sudden removal of the pressure the blood turns into a froth of nitrogen bubbles just as the soda water froths when the stopper of the bottle is removed this froth interrupts the circulation the release of pressure is felt first in the arteries and large veins it takes some time to reach all the tiny veins and serious differences of pressure are apt to occur that often result in the rupture of blood vessels the griping pains that accompany the caisson disease are excruciating the only cure is to restore the blood to its original pressure by placing the patient in a hospital lock or boiler-like affair where compressed air may be admitted and then to decompress the air very slowly it is possible to relieve the pressure in a bottle of soda water so gradually that the gas will pass off without the formation of visible bubbles and that is what is sought in decompressing a diver after careful research it has been found that the pressure may be cut down very quickly to half or even less of the original amount but then the diver must wait for the decompression to extend to the innermost recesses of his being and to all the tiny capillaries of his venous system in the salvage of the f four a diver went down three hundred and six feet and remained on the bottom half an hour the pressure upon him was a hundred and thirty five pounds per square inch or about a hundred and forty five tons on the surface of his entire body some idea of what this means may be gained if we consider that the tallest office building in the world does not bear on its foundation with a greater weight than two hundred and fifteen pounds to the square inch or only about fifty per cent more than the crushing pressure this diver had to endure it took the diver a very short time to go down on coming up he proceeded comparatively rapidly until he reached a depth of a hundred feet there he found the bottom rung of a rope ladder on it he was obliged to rest for several minutes before proceeding to the next rung the rungs of this ladder were ten feet apart and on each rung the diver had to rest a certain length of time according to a schedule that had been carefully worked out at the top rung for instance only ten feet from the surface he was obliged to wait forty minutes in all it took him an hour and forty-five minutes to come up to the surface the decompression was complete and he suffered no symptoms of the caisson disease but he was so exhausted from his efforts that he was unfit for work for several days yet the operations that he performed at the depth of three hundred feet would not have taken more than a few minutes on the surface a submarine rest chamber the germans have paid a great deal of attention to deep diving operations and no doubt while their u-boats were sinking merchant ships german salvors were anticipating rich harvests after hostilities ended one scheme they developed was a submarine rest chamber which could be permanently located on the bottom of the sea close to the point where the salvage operations were to take place this chamber consists of a large steel box which is supplied with air from the surface and in which divers may make themselves comfortable when they need a rest after arduous work
entrance to the chamber is effected through a door in the floor the pressure of the air inside prevents the water from rising into the chamber and flooding it from this submarine base the divers may go out to the wreck either equipped with the ordinary air-tube helmets or with self-generating apparatus which makes them independent of an air supply for a considerable period of time when the diver has worked for an hour or two or when he is tired he may return to this chamber remove his helmet eat a hearty meal take a nap if he needs it and then return to the salvage work without going through the exhausting operation of decompressing cutting metal under water with a torch the work of the diver usually consists of far more than merely passing lines under a sunken hull it is constantly necessary for him to cut away obstructing parts he must sometimes use blasting power pneumatic cutting tools frequently come into play but the germans have lately devised an oxyhydrogen torch for underwater use with which the diver can cut metal by burning through it this is accomplished by using a cup-sized nozzle through which a blast of air is projected under such pressure that it blows away the water over the part to be cut the oxygen and hydrogen jets are then ignited electrically and the work of cutting the metal proceeds in the hole in the water made by the air blast a similar submarine torch has recently been developed by an american salvage company it was employed successfully in cutting drainage holes in the bulkheads of the st paul which was raised in new york harbor in the summer of nineteen eighteen exploring the sea bottom in a diver's sled the diver's sled is still another interesting german invention it is a sled provided with vertical and horizontal rudders which is towed by means of a motor-boat at the surface the diver seated on the sled and provided with a self-contained diving suit can direct the motor-boat by telephone and steer his sled up and down and wherever he chooses and so without any physical exertion he can explore the bottom of the sea and hunt for wrecks armored diving suits from time to time attempts have been made to construct a diver's suit that will not yield to the pressure of the sea so that the diver will not be subjected to the weight of the water about him but can breathe air at ordinary atmospheric pressure curious armor of steel has been devised with articulated arms and legs in which the diver is completely encased with the ordinary rubber suit the diver usually has his hands bare because he is almost as dependent upon the sense of touch as a blind man but where the pressure mounts up to such a high degree that a metal suit must be used no part of the body may be exposed if a bare hand were extended out of the protecting armor it would immediately be mashed into a pulp and forced back through the opening in the arms of the suit the best that can be done then is to furnish the arms of the suit with hooks or tongs or other mechanical substitutes for hands which will enable the diver to make fast to the wreck or various parts of it but if a diver feels helpless in the bag of a suit now commonly worn what would he do when encased in a steel boiler for that is virtually what the armored suit is a common mistake that inventors of armor units have made is to fail to consider the effects of the enormous hydraulic pressure on the joints of the suit 
in order to make them perfectly tight packing must be employed and these are liable to be so jammed by the hydraulic pressure that it is well-nigh impossible to articulate the limbs again the construction of the suit should be such that when a limb is flexed it would not displace any more water than when in an extended position and vice versa a diver may find that he cannot bend his arm because in doing so he would expand the cubical content of his armour by a few cubic inches and to make room for this increment of volume it would be necessary for him to lift several hundred pounds of water the hydraulic pressure will reduce the steel suit to its smallest possible dimensions which may result either in doubling up the members or extending them rigidly but these difficulties are not insuperable there is no reason why a steel mannequin cannot be constructed with a man inside to direct its movements the salver submarine other schemes have been devised to relieve the diver of abnormally high air pressure one plan is to construct a large spherical working chamber strong enough to withstand any hydraulic pressure that might be encountered this working chamber is equipped with heavy glass ports through which the workers can observe their surroundings in the light of an electric searchlight controlled from within the chamber the sphere is to be lowered to the wreck from a barge with which it will be in telephonic communication and from which it will be supplied with electric current to operate various electrically driven mechanisms by means of electromagnets this sphere may be made fast to the steel hull of the vessel and thereupon an electric drill is operated to bore a hole in the ship and insert the hook of a hoisting chain this done the sphere would be moved to another position as directed by telephone and another chain made fast the hoisting chains are secured to sunken pontoons and after enough of the chains have been attached to the wreck the pontoons are pumped out and the wreck is raised it is a pity that shipbuilders have not had the forethought to provide substantial shackles at frequent intervals firmly secured to the framing a sunken vessel is really a very difficult object to make fast to and the patent office has recorded many very fantastic schemes for getting hold of a ship's hull without the use of divers one man proposes the use of a gigantic pair of ice tongs and there have been no end of suggestions that lifting magnets be employed but no one who has any idea of how large and how heavy such magnets must be would give these suggestions any serious consideration but after all the chief obstacle to salvage in the open sea is the danger of storms months of preparation and thousands of dollars worth of equipment may be wiped out in a moment fighting the waves with air however there has been another recent development which may have a very important bearing on this problem of deep-sea salvage work it has often been observed that a submerged reef twenty or thirty feet below the surface may act as a breakwater to stop the storming waves an inventor who studied this phenomenon arrived at the theory that the reefs set up eddies in the water which break up the rhythm of the waves and convert them into a smother of foam just above the reef thereupon he conceived the idea of performing the same work by means of compressed air he laid a pipe on the sea bottom forty or fifty feet below the surface and pumped air through it 
just as he had expected the line of air bubbles produced exactly the same effect as the submerged reef they set up a vertical current of water which broke up the waves as soon as they struck this barrier of air the pneumatic breakwater as it is called has been tried out on an exposed part of the california coast to protect a long pier used by an oil company it has proved so satisfactory that the same company has now constructed a second breakwater about another pier near by there is no reason why a breakwater of this sort should not be made about a wreck to protect the workers from storms where the water is very deep it would not be necessary to lay the compressed air pipe on the bottom but it could be carried by buoys at a convenient depth summing up the situation then there are two serious bars to the successful salvage of ships sunk in the open sea the wild fury of the waves on the surface and the silent remorseless pressure of the deep the former is the more to be feared and if the waves really can be calmed considerably more than half of the problem is solved as for the pressure of the sea it can be overcome as we have seen either by the use of special submarine mechanisms or of man-operated mannequins or even of unarmored divers we have reached a very interesting stage in the science of salvage with the promise of important developments fifty fathoms no longer seems a hopeless depth even in times of peace the sea exacts a dreadful toll of lives and property before the war the annual loss by shipwreck around the british isles alone was estimated at forty five million dollars but the war although it was frightfully destructive to shipping may in the long run save more vessels than it sank for it has given us sound detectors which should remove the danger of collisions in foggy weather and the wireless compass which should keep ships from running off the course and on the rocks and now if salvage engineering develops as it should the sea will be made to give up not only much of the wealth it swallowed during the war but also many of the rich cargoes of gold and silver it has been hoarding since the days of the spanish galleon End of chapter 16 End of Inventions of the Great War by Alexander Russell Bond